Merrill Kelly finally got that monkey off his back and dominated the Dodgers in game one of the NLDS. But can Zach Gallen do the same in game two? You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I'm Miller Thomas, host of the Locked On Dimebacks podcast. Been doing this thing since 2020, and it's finally nice to see the D-backs in the playoffs. So please follow me on Twitter at CareerThomas24. Look up the show account, Lockdown Dimebacks, both Twitter and Instagram. And please check out my website, MillerThomas24.MyPortfolio.com. Now for today's podcast, we're going to be talking about was the Gabriel Moreno trade the best of the offseason? What the D-backs need to continue to do, the stuff that we like from game one, what they need to translate over to game two so they can win that game but before we get there in segment number one i want to talk about game number two by doing a little preview of zach Allen versus bobby miller because merrill kelly in that game one start against the dodgers finally got that monkey off his back got his first career win against la and now the question is can zach Allen do the same in game two He's not winless in his career against the Dodgers, but Zach Allen is winless in his career in L.A. at Dodger Stadium. These two pitchers, Kelly and Zach Allen, we know, dominant elite guys, two of the most underrated pitchers in baseball. Look at their stats. They're among the league leaders in like everything, right? These are This is a true frontline duo, but both of these guys, the one team, their biggest rival, the L.A. Dodgers, both of these guys struggle against we detailed Leading up to game one, the struggles Merrill Kelly has had in his career against the L.A. Dodgers in the regular season. Because in the postseason so far, you would not have known Merrill Kelly has struggled against L.A. in his career. He was able to shut down the Dodgers lineup. Looked absolutely fantastic. I think it also helped that the D-backs kind of ripped the heart out of L.A. with their offense early in that game. But Kelly on his own looked dominant. And now the question is... Zach Allen, a guy who struggled himself against L.A. throughout his career, can he step up to the plate and channel another level that we haven't seen from him too much against his L.A. team? Zach Allen in L.A. at Dodger Stadium in his career, 0 for 4, 4 to 9 ERA, 35.2 innings pitched, and 17 earned runs. This is someone that's absolutely dominant against every other team, but against the biggest rival in the NL West, just like Amaro Kelly, he struggles. This season against the LA Dodgers, 5.1 innings pitch, six earned runs, and then 4.2 innings pitch, five earned runs. And those two starts were bookended by the front and the back end of the season. So this isn't just second half Zach Allen where he struggled down the stretch. This is a start from the like the first month, I think one of the starts was from March. And then the other start was from like August. 
So you can't just blame second half down the stretch struggles for Zach Gallon as to why the Dodgers were able to take it twice to Gallon. No, this season and years past, we've just seen this LA Dodgers team is very good against Zach Gallon. To be fair, this Dodgers team is pretty good against every pitcher in Major League Baseball. Now, I will say, Zach Gallon statistically is actually pretty good individually against most of these Dodgers players. Mookie Betts, of course, the stud, the best player in the Dodgers lineup. He has some success against Zach Gallon. I don't think that's crazy to say. Every pitcher, I'm sure, has feared Mookie Betts throughout their career. I'm sure Mookie Betts has success against 80 to 90% of the pitchers in Major League Baseball. Freddie Freeman someone who has struggled a little bit against Zach Gallon throughout his career. So hopefully that continues in game two. But Betts is someone you have to watch out for. Uh, I mean, <laughs> of course he has success against Zach Gallon. But even without that, I mean, we all know Betts is an MVP type player. Going to probably finish second this year. I mean, he's a stud. Near 900 OPS. 5 for 16 in his career against Zach Gallon. So... He's definitely scary, but he's not the scariest player in this Dodgers lineup against Zach Gallon. Honestly, the scariest player overall for the D-backs to play is Will Smith. Will Smith in his career against Zach Gallon, 6 for 16, 974 OPS, most hits against Zach Gallon of any Dodgers player. And against the D-backs in his career, Will Smith has repeatedly tortured the D-backs throughout years. I mean, if you look at the game one, the box score, not a lot of hits for the Dodgers. Half of them were actually by Will Smith, who just continues to crush the D-backs at every turn. 303 average and a 966 OPS in his career against the D-backs. Will Smith, we know, one of the best offensive players in baseball. Truly, like if we didn't already have Gabriel Moreno, who I think does have another ceiling as an offense player that he can tap into. If we didn't have that, I mean, we would have still had Dalton Varsho, so I would have felt good about our catching situation, I guess. It would have been Carson Kelly, but, I mean, let me just say in a vacuum, if you don't have a guy like Will Smith behind the plate, uh, I mean, I'm sorry for you because, I mean, getting an offensive stud like that is really fun to watch, and it's a treat when you can have an X factor in that catcher position as an offense player because not a lot of Major League Baseball teams have that. I think the D-backs do have that with the Gabriel Moreno. Gabriel Moreno. Um, Zach Gallen against his Dodgers team. Uh, he's someone that I'm going to have to watch out for that third time through the lineup because he's someone that has struggled this season that third time through the lineup. Now, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a Blake Snell speed yank with Zach Gallen. I trust Zach Gallen. If there's a little bit of trouble he runs into, I want to see how he can work through it. I'm not saying the first signs of trouble gives up a double, you automatically uh, yank him. No, I'm saying if it's like one out, he gives up a double, he walks the second guy. Now I think it's a real question as to whether or not to pull Zach Gallant out of the game at that point. So I want to watch him that third time through the lineup because the third time through, 295 average and over 800 OPS allowed the third time through the lineup. So I'm going to be watching Zach Gallant in that situation. But on the other side for the Dodgers, the D-backs have to welcome the rookie to the postseason. They have to humble him. Bobby Miller on the road this season, 309 ERA. But at home, this is where the D-backs can really take it to the Dodgers and really rip their hearts out if they're able to get another big offensive performance in game two because Bobby Miller at home this season, 4.5 ERA. 
this is going to be a perfect opportunity for the D-backs who really just crush the Dodgers. If Bobby Miller keeps up the trend of struggling at home, it could get pretty disheartening for Dodgers fans pretty fast. Bobby Miller is someone who struggles in the middle innings, innings four through six. He's an ERA north of five. That's where the D-backs really have to pound on Bobby Miller. Against Clint Kershaw, we want to attack him early. You still want to attack Bobby Miller early, but I think in those middle innings, that second time, third time through the lineup is really where they're going to have to uh, generate some offense against a Bobby Miller. Going to have to watch out for uh, his put-away pitch, the curveball. That's his strikeout pitch. That's the way he likes to uh, use to really put uh, guys away. Uh, Probably his best pitch in those 0-2 situations, stuff like that. Going to pitch to some contact. Ground ball pitcher with the hard sinker, hard fastball, going to generate strikeouts. But if he's going to pitch to some contact, if he's going to try to generate ground balls, let's make sure those are balls down the line for doubles and triples. Bobby Miller, we've seen him have success against the D-backs this season. Six innings, zero earned runs. Six innings, four earned runs were his two starts against the D-backs this year. So it wouldn't be a surprise if he... Pitch well against the D-backs in Game 2, but considering he's a rookie, considering he struggled at home this year, hoping the playoff atmosphere, seeing the legend, Clayton Kershaw struggle in Game 1, maybe in the back of your head you're like, if that guy can't come through in the postseason, how can I? Small sample size, but Guriel, Perdomo, Moreno, and Alec Thomas have seen success against Bobby Miller this season. Hopefully those guys can continue their success in Game 2. Zach Gallon started off really shaky in the first inning against the Brewers. It was his first postseason start, so hopefully he'll be ready in Game 2 against the Dodgers, and from the jump, he can come out firing because I do not want another shaky first inning Zach Gallon start. I want that man to come out firing, and I want him to get his first win at the LA Dodgers Stadium. Now, I want to talk to you guys about things that I really like from Game 1 that the D-backs need to continue to do in Game 2. But before we get there, I first want to talk to you guys about game time because I'm going to be buying tickets for the D-backs postseason game this week. And the best place for me to buy playoff tickets is going to be game time because game time is the only ticketing app that gives you the complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. All in prices show your total upfront so you know exactly so you know you're getting a great deal without hidden fees. Buy tickets in seconds with two taps. They're obsessed with finding ways to also help you save money on your tickets. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event. Even an hour after it starts, it's the best place for last-minute seats. With zone deals, you pick the section, and Game Time picks the seats for an average of 18% savings. That's phenomenal. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Locked on MLB for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. And don't forget to catch every D-Bags pitch on their hometown broadcast when you download the 
we download the Sirius XM app and search up Diamondbacks. Now let's get back into the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. Let's talk about some things that I really like from game number one that the D-backs need to continue to do in game number two. The first thing I want to talk about, the crooked number early. I just mentioned how you can really take advantage of Bobby Miller in those middle innings. But listen, if the D-backs want to put another crooked number early on the board, get to the Dodgers in the first inning, rip out their hearts early, I won't be mad at that. This D-backs team has not scored first inning runs in... They weren't scoring first inning runs in the wild card. We saw the Milwaukee Brewers really get going early. And of course, that gave us an opportunity to see the answer backs. The D-backs got to live up to their moniker, their nickname, and make some incredible comebacks. Of course, get to be a part of some really cool lists and some really cool stats. But if you ask me, would I rather the D-backs be up 3-0 in the first inning or down 3-0 in the first inning and trying to make the comeback... I think I would prefer up, and I think against a team like the Milwaukee Brewers, who struggle with offense, who do have, of course, do have, of course, great pitching, but the offense is a struggle. I think that's a team that you can come back on. If that team goes up three runs, I don't think that's a team that's going to be pouring it on over the course of game. They might get three runs in that first inning, but how sustainable is that for the Brewers' offense over the course of the game? How many innings can they pick up? Can they put up a crooked number? And we saw from the wild card series. They can do it early in the first couple, but they can't do it repeatedly throughout the game. And I think for this Dodgers team, like, of course, in game one, their offense didn't show up. But I don't want to believe that's what this Dodgers team is going to do game after game. I want to believe Zach Gallen is going to shut them down in game two. But we'll see about game three and moving forward. This Dodgers offense, I know, is elite. We know they're one of the best run scoring teams in Major League Baseball. We know that they're loaded with talent and I believe they're the kind of team that if they get going in the first inning, put up a three-run, four-run spot in the first, it's probably going to mean that they're going to be putting up big runs throughout the game. That's an offense I would be scared of. That's an offense where they put up three runs in the first, they put up four runs in the first, you guys start making a comeback. You might not ever catch the Dodgers team because they might just keep sprinkling runs throughout the entire game. A team like the Brewers, they put up those three, four runs in the first two innings, Then they kind of stop. That's about all they do. This Dodgers team, they will put up all those runs in the first and then will keep hammering you on throughout the rest of the game. So for this D-backs team, yeah, Bobby Miller might be most vulnerable in those middle innings. But if you can get to him early, like you did with Clayton Kershaw, knock him out the game early, why not? I would rather see these guys back in the bullpen than out on the mound. Second thing that I want to see from the D-backs to continue, killer mentality this D-backs team we talked about it entering the series they are unafraid they might be inexperienced they might be raw but because they play this Dodgers team so much they are unafraid of this Dodgers team we knew they were going to be bringing a passion a a ferocity against this Dodger squad and that's exactly what happened they look like the hungrier team they look like the more desperate team and maybe a little rust got to the Dodgers maybe that bye gave them a little bit too much cushion maybe they were vacationing in Cabo way too much because this Dodgers because this D-backs team acted like this Dodgers team took their lunch money or something on the playground I mean I know this Dodgers team have been bullies to the D-backs for years and years now and it felt like the D-backs were trying to get 
all that retribution back in game one. They never took their foot off the gas throughout the entire game. And I think that's what I like the most. They got six runs in the first. And right when the Dodgers are like, all right, let's get some runs back. Let's try to get back in this. D-backs come right back in the top of the second. Three more runs. I mean, to go down 9 nothing after the first two innings just feels like a shock to your system. If you're a Dodgers fan, you were stunned. I was, te- I was texting all my Dodgers buddies like, look at that. Once again, Clayton Kershaw, the postseason version, has showed up once again, and that guy sucks. And so it was nice to see the D-backs take out Clayton Kershaw, and then once again, D-backs get runs in the 7th and 8th. Like, just never stopped. Four for nine with runners in scoring position. I thought the D-backs had a killer mentality in Game 1, and they need to continue to have that mentality. If you go up 2-0 in this series, don't rest on your laurels. Remember what Kobe said, got to have that Mamba mentality. Yeah, actually, screw the killer. Screw the killer mentality. You're the snakes. You need that Mamba mentality like a Kobe Bryant. Like he said when he was up in the playoff series, the job ain't over. If you don't, It don't matter if you're up 2-0 on the Dodgers until it says series final and you're popping champagne going to the NLCS. Don't stop murdering this Dodgers team. Number three, power, power, power. That's what I loved. This D-backs team all of a sudden is tapping into some power. This D-backs team, if you could believe it, are leading the playoffs in home runs and are second in slugging percentage during the regular season. This team was not very powerful. They were built on hitting, average, and speed, chaos, and the extra base hit via like the double, you know, stuff that you could get to extra bases without the over-the-fence power. And in the postseason, they've had that over-the-fence power because they are leading the playoffs in home runs, 10th in home runs in the regular season in the National League, 8th in slugging percentage in the NL in the regular season as well. Now they lead the playoffs in home runs. Absolutely insane, and they're getting it from guys like the Morenos and the Thomases of the world, guys who don't have or aren't known for power. All of a sudden, they come to the playoffs, and they're just, it's like the home run derby for those guys. So really incredible stuff by the D-backs offense. And then the final thing that I like that they need to keep doing is keep the top of the Dodgers lineup quiet. I will concede hits to the Miguel Rojas's and the David Peralta's all day. I know the Freemans and the Mookie Betts aren't going to stay quiet for long, but just do as much as you can to keep the top four of the Dodgers lineup as quiet as possible. If you could do that, I think it's a pretty... Smooth sailing to victory because I think the pitching for the D-backs is actually better than the Dodgers when we look at the rotation. We know this D-backs offense can score runs with what we've seen from the postseason. They're dominating. They actually have the most runs scored in the playoffs, I believe. So the rotation feels better than the Dodgers. We know this offense right now is humming as good as anyone in the postseason. And if you tell me the Freemans and the Bets are going to be quiet in this series, I think the D-backs could kind of cruise to a playoff win, but it ain't going to be easy, and that's easier said than done. And of course, no one can stop Will Smith at the top of the lineup. And so those are the things that the D-backs need to keep doing if they want to win game two of this series. But now I want to talk about was the Gabriel Moreno trade actually the best trade and maybe move of the offseason? But before we get there, a quick word from our sponsors.
And don't forget to catch every D-Bags pitch on their hometown broadcast when you download the Series XM app and search up Diamondbacks. Now, I want to talk about a move that has been instrumental to the D-Bags' success in the regular season and the postseason. One that has really just just really helped the, the franchise from an offensive standpoint, from a defensive standpoint. When you think about the D-backs future long-term, you feel good about it. When you think about the D-backs short-term, you feel good about it. This was a win-win trade for just everybody involved from the D-backs perspective because I don't know how the D-backs trade partner feels, but I don't know if they're too happy with how it currently stands because the Gabriel Moreno trade and Lords Guriel trade for Dalton Varsho might have been the best trade and move of the 2023 offseason. Listen, a trade like Luis Arise for a Pablo Lopez, the swap that the Marlins and Twins did, listen, you could put that in the discussion of best trades that we saw from this offseason because both of those players were studs, right, for their respective situations. The Marlins desperately needed some more offensive pieces. That was a team that had an elite rotation bullpen, but you're like, their offense just can't score enough runs. Luis Arise goes over immediately. MVP candidate the first couple months. Bad 400 early. Still led the league in average. Pablo Lopez strikeout machine this year with the Twins. Helped them help lead the Twins to the postseason. Even got them a postseason series victory. Both sides are respectively happy in that trade. But that's why. But that is why I think this Varsho for Moreno swap is even considered a better deal because. Are the Blue Jays happy? When I think about the value of going out versus coming in, the D-backs netted two really good major leaguers. Meanwhile, Dalton Varsho just didn't have himself a good season. And another reason why this deal was so good and why it was the best trade of the season is because it wasn't a deadline deal. Listen, the Marlins killed every trade that they made this year. That's why I keep saying uh, Kim, their executive, should be executive of the year. I mean, because they killed the deadline. Jake Berger, Josh Bell, I think those were the best deadline deals this season. But those were only half-season rentals. Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel have been able to be instrumental from day one of the season. They came in early. They practiced early with this team. They played spring training games early. Opening day, they were in the lineup, and from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, they were making huge plays and being positive contributors to this D-backs team all season long. And when you look at all the playoff teams, did anyone make an off-season trade that meant more to helping their team than Moreno and Gurriel to the D-backs? Like I said, Lopez and Arise helped each respective ball club a ton but both of those parties were winners when you look at the Braves team they added Murphy as their catcher which was a massive deal Murphy was arguably the best catcher in baseball this season but even if they didn't trade for Murphy they would have still had William Contreras behind the plate who's a stud as well and that Braves lineup is absolutely loaded so we've seen this Braves team actually win a World Series without a Ronald Acuna so I think they would have still been okay even if they didn't trade for a Murphy but a team like the D-backs they traded away a Dalton Varsho who was if you look at baseball reference a 3.9 war player 3.9 
that's pretty good, actually. But most of that was tied to his defense. Because when you look at Dalton Varsho, his WRC+, the new stat that's taking over Major League Baseball, 100 is considered league average. Dalton Varsho's WRC+, plus minus 100. Way, way below league average. Varsho offensively just did not have it this season. He still got the counting stats, still was able to get some power, steal some bags, play the lead defense, but for the most part, just a disappointment at the plate. And we compare a Varsho to what the D-backs were able to acquire in the deal. Gabriel Moreno, Lords Guriel, neither one of them are elite offensive players with what we saw this season, but 103 WRC plus for Moreno, 106 for Guriel. Both of them were at least considered above league average offensive players. And then we dive even deeper and consider that Moreno was a solid contact hitter all season. One of the best, if arguably not the best, defensive catcher in baseball this year. Throwing out dudes left and right. And we, of course, know the D-backs record when he's healthy. How much better they are as a team when he's in the lineup. And then Gurriel, can't forget him. He was the clutch king in the first half of the season. He had the flowing purple hair. Felt like he had so many moments. It felt like those first couple months, if you need someone to come through in the eighth or ninth inning, felt like Gurriel was the guy that you wanted at the plate. Yeah, he slowed down as the season went on, but still brought a ton of experience, excitement, and really was a great culture fit for what this D-backs team needed. I think they lost a little bit of a culture void when like the Eduardo Escars left um, via trade, right? I think Gurriel was able to replace some of that excitement and passion in the locker room. So both those guys have been absolutely phenomenal so i have a lot of gripes with mike hazen with some of the moves and some of the trades he makes but the dalton var show for gabriel moreno and lord guriel trade i think will go down as probably and arguably the best trade and move of the 2023 offseason now that's it for this edition of the locked on dimebacks podcast come back tomorrow for more dimebacks news coverage and insight we'll be recording after the game Talking about the D-backs Game 2 victory, of course. So come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. Don't forget to catch every D-backs pitch on their hometown broadcast when you download the Sirius XM app and search up Diamondbacks. Follow me on Twitter, at thomas 24 for my personal account, or look up Lockdown Dimebacks on both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, stay safe, stay healthy. Doses.